What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we take a little bit of a break. It's the last Sunday before the new school year launches and our full Sunday school program resumes. We've also just finished our summer series on Revelation where we saw the beauty of heaven and the possibilities to experience some of that right now. On this Labor Day weekend, though, we are pausing to consider how people can be so mean. Living here in the United States, we are likely to run into someone who treats us in a mean way. Maybe it's driving our car or a random encounter with a neighbor. But wherever you are, eventually it will happen to you. Somebody will be downright mean to you. Why is that? What has happened to our world that people are just so willing to blast someone, even when it's completely out of proportion to what is done to them? Well, we are going to dive in and see if we can come up with some answers as we look at the words of Jesus shared with us today by Joe in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just taken the disciples to one of the most beautiful areas of the country in this idyllic place. He asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter has declared that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Despite this incredible news, though, Jesus next begins to describe something very different from what is expected. Let's hear this unexpected message now from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man has come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death, before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. And from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. God, sometimes people can be so vile. Help us to be faithful to you even when things, uh, these things happen to us. Help us to understand why it's happening and to respond with love and generosity despite it. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
So someone's just been mean to you. Maybe they yelled at you or took something from you. Maybe it was an insult or perhaps worst of all, they knew you were hurting and they piled on more hurt anyways. What do you do? Do you yell back? Do you try and hurt them like they've hurt you? Do you walk away and pretend like nothing happened? It's a situation we've all found ourselves in. I remember many years ago when Emily and I joined a church that had several services on a Sunday morning. One of them was a contemporary service with guitar, drums, and piano. Emily volunteered to be a part of their worship team. She was warmly welcomed into the group and was put in a rotation of people who would sing in front of the congregation every other week. Now, pretty early on, Emily noticed there were some problems with this group. People were a little over the top with their egos, making sure they got to sing their songs with their solos in them. Emily didn't really care, though. She just wanted to help and would do whatever the worship leader asked her to do. Then there was the incident. This was probably six months into her time on the team, and she was on stage singing along with the rest of the team. One of the team members had a solo as part of a beautiful song, so Emily lowered her microphone and quietly sang along, worshiping with the rest of the congregation. She was absorbed in the moment, filled with a peace that comes from a, a connection with God. As the solo ended, Emily opened her eyes and raised her microphone to continue with the rest of the team when she noticed that the music director was staring daggers at her. The director was giving her the meanest look as though she were smoldering with anger. She never spoke to Emily after the service ended, but Emily did hear from the sound guy later that week. She was told that there was a change and that they didn't have enough microphones for Emily to sing on the team anymore. The blame was put on the number of microphones, which hadn't changed from the week before. Can you believe that? And just like that, Emily was off the worship team. Her offense, quietly worshiping God. It seems so mean, doesn't it? Someone getting in trouble by a worship leader for worshiping. It's a good reminder that even in the church, we can struggle with how to keep ourselves in check. And maybe you wouldn't have done something like that yourself, but we can be mean sometimes too, even when we are followers of Jesus. We may not intend it, but sometimes we let our emotions get the best of us. This seems to be a growing problem, too. David Brooks wrote recently about Americans being mean. He cited nurses leaving the profession because of abusive patients, a restaurant owner who has to kick someone out for rude or cruel behavior now every single week, surging crime rates and plummeting giving to charity. All this leads us to ask why. Why are we so mean to each other? What is wrong with us that we choose to abuse one another instead of treat one another with respect? Some would tell you technology is the problem. Too much social media is rotting our souls. Others will say it's the economy with growing inequality between the rich and poor. Still others blame shifting demographics. We are a far more diverse country and getting even more so. And then there's the church. Less people participating in community groups, including going to church. In the 1950s, about 60% of the country attended church on a given Sunday. Today, it's about half that, at about 30%. But you might wonder, 
does going to church really matter? Does it really have any effect on us? Actually, being part of a religious community is connected with better health, longer life, generosity, and stable families. So yeah, it matters, but can it stop you from being mean? I remember my time as a youth minister working with teenagers. Parents would ask me about their child going to church and the competition it had with other things in life. I can certainly understand how important those other things are from a part-time job to grades at school to extracurricular activities that would help a young person in college. Those things matter, yes. But hear about some of the other benefits directly connected with regularly attending church. This comes from the teenager's perspective in the largest religious survey of teens ever conducted. Doing something religious every day means teens have a better relationship with their parents. It means mothers are more likely to encourage their spouse, more likely to express love to them, to be fair and compromise with them, to not blame them for problems, and less likely to insult criticize, or scream at them. Well, how about that? Religion seems to curb all these mean things women might do to their spouses. And men, don't tell me afterward it didn't work on your spouse, all right? How about the other way? Does religion help fathers toward the mothers of teenagers? You better believe it does. It's the same thing. The more a father attends church, the more likely he is to encourage, show love, be fair, and compromise, and avoid blaming, insulting, criticizing, and screaming. Wouldn't you know, church actually makes us better people. It's not perfect, but we are better off going to church. Now, you might be wondering, how that is. Why does that even happen, that church changes our behavior? And as I said at the start, sometimes even church folks don't get this right. So why would it work for one person and not another? How can we make sure we are people that instead of being mean, treat others with respect and with that have purpose? The heart of that answer, I believe, comes straight from Jesus. In Matthew 16, we hear one of the most dramatic statements by the Lord. First, Jesus tells his disciples that he has to suffer at the hands of the religious religious leaders and even die before being raised. Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, saying he needs to avoid this. In Peter's mind, the Messiah, the chosen and anointed one of God, can only win through victory, through triumph. But Jesus famously says to Peter, "'Get behind me, Satan.'" Jesus is telling Peter that he is wrong. He should not pull Jesus off course by telling him to avoid suffering. Now, what Peter said actually makes some sense. Jesus said he is going to be crucified. Crucifixion was only for slaves and the lower class. Jesus, as a famous teacher, shouldn't have to die that way. Besides, he's a good person helping people. Why should he ever have to suffer in such an awful way? This is where we often get stuck, we think, because I am good, I don't deserve bad things. We think our faith gives us a get-out-of-jail-free card. We shouldn't have to suffer, but that's not how it works. Listen to Craig Keener on this point. He says, Jesus describes what all true disciples must be ready for. If they follow Jesus, they must be ready to face 
literal scorn and death, for they must follow to the cross. See, our Christian faith doesn't mean our life will be all sunshine and roses. It means our life is going to look like Jesus's. It means there will be challenges ahead of us that will force us to grow and mature, maybe even ways that we don't want to. Some are going to jump ship and abandon the cause of Jesus, for, but for those willing to take up the cross, they will find their meaning in Jesus. See, Peter wants things to be easy. He wants to avoid suffering, or at the least, to have a supernatural win with no cost to any of the disciples. Wouldn't that be nice? The no work easy win? Just sign up to follow Jesus and you'll get everything you ever wanted? But that's simply not the case. Jesus shows us that it is through suffering, through the challenges, through getting to the other side of sin that we grow in grace and love and offer hope to this world. But it doesn't end there. There's one more piece to this passage that's super important. It's not just that we go through bad things and hopefully find ourselves on the other side of them. When we read the scriptures, we have to read what's around a passage too. As Jesus tells Peter and the disciples that they have to deny themselves to find real life, and that suffering is inevitably part of a far larger plan of the work of God, all of this assumes the very next thing to happen. Maybe you peeked ahead in your Bible. Right after this, Jesus is on a high mountain. Here he is with Peter, James, and John. Seemingly out of nowhere, Jesus is transformed, and his face is shining like the sun, and his clothes are dazzling white. We associate people looking like this to angels and heavenly beings, and that makes sense. We are being reminded here that trials and suffering are not the end. There is a great reward on the other side. Sometimes we talk about jewels and crowns and gold in heaven, but all that is just meant to help point us toward a much bigger, richer truth. Our commitment to Jesus, to carry our cross even to the point of death, leads us straight into the presence of God. There is nothing better than every part of who you are being directly connected with God. When you are living that way, even going through suffering, life has meaning. It brings us purpose, and that, I think, is the core reason church helps us and stops us from being mean to others. We have purpose. Learning moral lessons helps. Being surrounded by good people helps. Being supported when things are difficult can definitely help. But the very essence of the church is people who live a life connected with God. When we find ways to keep God at the center of everything, when we pray regularly, when we read the scriptures and practice spiritual disciplines, it's not for the sake of discipline. We don't do hard spiritual work because we are gluttons for punishment. We do it so we can find ourselves more regularly connected to God. We find our meaning and purpose because we can listen to God. We can feel him in our lives and have a sense of what it looks like to live a better life, to care for our neighbors, and to make this world a better place. 
I think of the nicest people I've ever known. And you know what? Every one of them is from the church. We might not like when someone from the church is mean to us, and we shouldn't. Nasty mean people should not be tolerated in the church. They should be converted. But think of all those beautiful, lovely people who have blessed us with a kind word or a timely hug. I think of a time when I was a poor college student. I was living in the suburbs but going to church in the inner city, and as I entered the city, my gas light came on. I didn't have any money on me, and I didn't even own a credit card at the time. The thought that just kept hitting me was, I'm going to run out of gas before I get back home. I don't have money. I don't have enough gas. I cannot make it. So I get to church, and I'm embarrassed, first of all, because I don't have any money to put in the offering plate, and second, because I need some of that money. I have to get home, but I don't say anything. I'm just racking my brain trying to figure it out when the worship leader's spouse comes up to me and says, Brian, the Lord just keeps telling me I need to give you $20. And I think, how did she know? Why is she doing this? I don't deserve this kindness. I will go to my dying day knowing what an incredible saint of a woman she is. And it's not because she's a nice person or because she did a good thing. It's because people don't get like that without God touching their hearts. She was formed in grace and love through God by the church. We need the church, not only to prevent us from being mean, but to help shape us, to form us and help us find our meaning in Jesus. Let's end with this. Stephanie is a young mother with four children. Her typical day includes waking up at dawn, diapering and feeding one child while clothing another, preparing lunches for the rest, doing a couple loads of laundry, cooking dinner, and putting the kids to bed, all before falling into bed herself completely exhausted. And she has thought to herself more than once, aren't there more important things I should be doing? She laments that she doesn't have the energy for prayer and study. Many days she suffers quietly and alone. And it would be easy to become cynical and and mean in such a situation, but there is meaning even in this work, even if it's difficult to see. Bradley Nassif writes, mundane duties are like God's heavenly sandpaper. They can mold character, cleanse away impurity, and transfigure a person to reflect the beauty of Christ In our work, our character is formed and we are made Christ-like. Much of our work, especially the more menial tasks, teach us to repent and die daily to our sins. Our highest vocation is not the kind of work we do, but the kind of people we become doing it. Find your life in Christ. Find your purpose in Christ. You don't need to get everything you want to stop being mean to people. Jesus doesn't call you to victory or winning or great riches. He calls you to a suffering that makes you like him. We bear the cross so that we may find our meaning in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.